Spirit of the living God fall afresh upon us this day. Let the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, might be pleasing to your, to your sight and to your sound. In silence and in speech, attend to us this day, we pray. Amen. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for harm, plans to give you a future with hope. With these inspirational words, the spiritual industrial complex has made quite a living. Pasting them on coffee mugs and picture frames, smartphone cases and paperweights, and any manner of trinkets, including little artificial rocks like this one. About six years ago, I went to a Christian bookstore. And just as an aside, what makes a bookstore a Christian bookstore? Do all of its books profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Do they pledge 10% of their pages to the church? Do they experience the irony of eating deviled eggs after worship? (laughs) Anyway, I went to a Christian bookstore, and I bought a bunch of these little rocks which we presented in worship to soon-to-be-graduating high school seniors who will be here with us next Sunday as they are prepared to be celebrated for their achievements and prayed for as they move on to college or whatever lies next. And one particular senior was absent the day of this presentation. When she was a younger 8th grade student, she was, had been an active, engaged, and thoughtful but also somewhat skeptical member of the confirmation class. And when that class was over, in her integrity and self-awareness, this student decided not to join the church because she did not possess and therefore was not willing to profess a faith that she didn't have or a faith, frankly, that she was even sure she wanted. I really loved having her in the class, but for the next four years afterwards, our paths didn't cross very often. But it so happened that in the summer before she left for her freshman year of college, I was able to see her one more time, and knowing that I was going to go see her, I ran up to my office, and I got one of these little rocks with this message. And pretty much, I doubted that in giving it to her, I would sort of, I didn't think it was going to change her life. (laughs) I didn't expect her to drop in that moment and say, oh, Patrick, now I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to go to college. Uh, It wasn't the way it played out. I could imagine before I gave it to her that her eyes would have rolled when she saw it and said, oh, great, a little rock with a Bible verse on it. Years passed, approximately six of them, and I had the chance recently, in the last month or two, to catch up with that engaging yet skeptical confirmation student. And to my great surprise, she told me, Patrick, 
I still have that rock. And she shared how much its words still meant to her. Even though she still cannot claim the Christian faith as her own, she holds on to this biblical promise. For surely, I know the plans that I have for you. As surprised as I was, it makes sense to me that she would be drawn to those words. For no matter what we believe about God or the Bible, we can be drawn to the possibility that somehow, some way, out there in the universe or in the very recesses of our hearts, there is inscribed for us on matter as enduring as stone a wonderful purpose and plan for our lives. And that this purpose and plan and design for our lives has been etched and authored by a power or reality that can and will perhaps bring it into being. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And indeed it is a message And it is a promise that sells really well. The question is, for us, is should we hold on to it? Can we hold on to it? At various points in our lives, this idea is much easier to hold than others. Sometimes the stars of destiny seem to align so nicely with our desires, or the doors of opportunity and fortune so helpfully open for us, or the setbacks and false or tentatively made moves that we make turn out to be such unambiguous blessings that it all seems to be part of some grand and benevolent scheme beyond our own ability to dream up or manufacture. But at other times, the dice roll, or the cards are dealt, or choices are made, where things happen or don't happen, things are given or things are taken away, such that life can seem random, vain, perniciously cruel, full of judgment and harm. Like the stone upon which these words were written, Jeremiah's words can sometimes sink under the weight of contrary evidence leaving us with tough questions about what exactly is included in God's plan for our welfare. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about the providence of God. Providence is the doctrine that ascribes to God the power to enact plans for all of our reality, God's governance of creation. And our confession says... God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest men to the least, by God's most wise and holy providence, according to God's infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of God's own will, to the praise and glory of God's wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. 
this doctrine of providence, which affirms God's power and goodness, is intended to make us grateful for the blessings we have, patient in the adversities we endure, hopeful for the life that awaits us. And surely these are valuable expressions of faithfulness. But the notion of God's surely made plans can be hard to handle and can surely be mishandled and misappropriated. And I wish this morning I had all the answers for us. I don't. I don't think I ever will. But we do have this text from Jeremiah, this text from which these words come. So my thought and invitation in the time left in this sermon is that we perhaps take the words off the trinket and go back into the text to see how it is that we might come to hold these promises. As Casey told the children, this scripture features God's promise to the exiles in Babylon. God is speaking through Jeremiah to a community of people who were forcibly removed from their homes, their livelihoods, taken away from all that gave them their sense of security and meaning and purpose, and were relocated by King Nebuchadnezzar and his forces to Babylon in the 6th century BCE. We hear in this passage words that don't fit on the rock nor its optimistic message that God was not promising a quick fix to, to the exile. There were some prophets in, in Jeremiah's day that were saying, oh, don't worry, in two years we'll be back. But God, through Jeremiah, says, no. There will be 70 years until you return to your, your home in, Jer- in Jerusalem. So from this, there are a few things I want us to notice. First, that the letter intentionally speaks to and addresses a people in a time of upheaval and not good fortune. If God's plan, then, only spoke to those experiencing the good tidings of life, to those for whom everything is working out just fine, then the God of Scripture would only be a distracted, narrow-minded, part-time deity, irrelevant to the realities of a broken and fearful world. But if, in God's providence, if all that happens can somehow be, can somehow participate or be involved in what God wills for human welfare, if, for example, slaves in Egypt can bring life to the exodus of deliverance, if a Jesus dying on a cross can bring the new life of a Christ and his salvation then there is perhaps something to hold on to in that trinket of a promise and that heavyweight of a doctrine. It's the sense that there is no thing that can separate us from the loving movement of God. God intentionally speaks into this moment of upheaval, perhaps which would help us to listen to and for God during ours. Another thing to notice here is that in the text, the words and messages of God are mediated. God does not speak directly to the people, such that they can claim to hear God's voice as clearly 
as you hear mine. God chooses a human's voice and a human's life to express divine assurances. Thus, if we and others are going to come to believe that there is a holy purpose for our lives, we will perhaps come to that belief in our shared life with each other through people whose voice, whose hands, whose movements can help lead us to the plan God has for our welfare. In Jesus Christ, God has made God's self known to us. And in our human flesh, we become the body of Christ through which God chooses to mediate and confirm God's master plan. Another thing to notice in the text is that God through Jeremiah says, I have plans for you. God is not saying, I have plans for you individually. I have God plans, I have plans for you as a people. The exiles, when they heard this letter, would not say, God is speaking just to me, but God is speaking to all of us. And the us is very broadly defined. The message to the exiles was not to attack their enemies, but to seek their welfare in the meantime of exile. And they were told to take up residence in their captive city, not as short-term renters, but invested homeowners who plant gardens and eat, get married, have children. God willed for them in their upheaval not to decrease or shrink behind their victimhood, but to dare to thrive, to live abundantly, to seek the welfare and abundance of the city where they had been sent. God's plan was for all people, captive and captor. So it seems then that the fulfillment of our welfare might come more readily as we seek the fulfillment of others and as we take up active and engaged residence wherever time and circumstances have placed us. It can make such a difference. So those are a few thoughts from the text. But as I stand before you, I feel a little uncomfortable that perhaps I'm dodging the question, not answering how it is that we can come to hold on to this promise that we want, but sometimes fail to see. Does God have a plan for our lives? Yes. No. It depends. What do we mean by plan? If we mean God is the puppeteer and we are the puppets, only moving as God wills us to move, then no. If it means that everything that happens on the stage of life was pre-written in the original script, authored by God, that God actively directs people or nature to inflict unnecessary destruction or hardship or death, well, I cannot go there myself. And I cannot, or I imagine that perhaps you cannot either. But if it means that all of this life, its good fortunes and terrible upheavals, that all of it can be included in the possibility of God's love, if it means that God's message is mediated by who we are and what we choose to do in the present circumstances of our lives, of what we choose to carry and what we choose to leave behind, 
If it means seeking and seeing the welfare, not just of me or of you, but of all people, and experiencing the fulfillment of the future by living most fully in the circumstances of the present, then, yes, I can affirm that there is a plan for our lives. Another one of our members has shared with me a brief statement of faith that I will never forget. She says, I am not sure that God exists, but I know that God loves me. I am not sure that God exists, but I know that God loves me. That paradoxical paradoxical statement, I believe, is a wonderful way in which we can relate to the promise of God's plans for our future and for our welfare. Even as we perhaps cannot fully grasp the idea that God has a plan for us, we can still hold tightly to God's promise for us. More important than this, perhaps we can be held by that promise. Maybe the reason that that former confirmation student still has her rock is not because she's done such a good job of holding on to it, but because the promise written on it still has her. Perhaps God planned, God's plan is not necessarily for us to attain or hold on to, but something that obtains and holds us even when we cannot fully believe it or hold it for ourselves. As much as our eyes may roll at doctrines or trinkets that seem unrealistic or superfluous to the reality in which we or others live, perhaps God nonetheless desires to give us that promise, a promise for our good welfare, our great shalom, the ultimate well-being of every aspect of who we are, body, mind, and spirit. The spiritual industrial complex has made from these trinkets a great living. Can we hold on to these words of promise and live into a great and godly life? Yes. Amen. Amen.